Welcome to the Live Louder podcast sponsored by FitKit. FitKit is a health and wellness lifestyle business supporting their community to live louder by living their best, most authentic and active life. FitKit is the inventor of the patent pending Hang Fold Go bag, a sport, fitness and travel bag that turns into a hanging closet. This bag will absolutely revolutionize how you navigate your day to manage all the things that you need to live louder in your life. With multiple pockets and a thoughtful unfolding design, FitKit lets you organize and access your gear in seconds. Go big or go small. It folds up to a compact carry-on approved size. The Hangfold Go is built for everyone from athletes, adventurers, the poor weekend warriors, and everyone in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Louder podcast sponsored by FitKid. My name is Katie, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa, and our special guest today is Kane Leathers. We are so excited to welcome Kane to our podcast today. Uh, Kane is a professional runner. His purpose is to create a more accepting and inclusive environment for everyone. Here in Missouri, we say all means all, y'all. So um, I'm happy, happy, <laughs> happy to hear about that. Uh, we adore Kane, and we know that he is a proud person, and he's proud of who he is. Um, so inspiring. He lifts others up and supports the LGBTQ plus community to accept who they are, no matter their background. Kane is proving to the world that being gay does not stop you from participating in all that life has to offer. He has the endurance and physical capabilities to compete with the best. He is working, this is just so incredible. He is working towards a spot on Team USA for the 24 hour race as well as an Olympic trial qualifying time in the marathon. Absolutely incredible. He has run races such as the Backyard Ultra, the Loopy Looper Ultra, the Boston Marathon, and the Stinger. He is the founder and executive director of Queer Run in Philadelphia, a fitness group devoted to bridging the gap between the LGBTQ community and its allies in the running industry, creating a safe space where everyone is welcome, all paces and all faces. Kane, your profile is exactly what we stand for in this Live Louder movement that we're building. And your, your motivation and purpose to connect with everyone and all paces and all faces is just so inspiring to us and really exemplifies what meaning what living louder is and that we're truly stronger together. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. A wonderful introduction. You did a, an incredible job. Thank you so much. Uh, such kind words. So with running, I started running pretty early on in my life. Uh, when I was a child, my parents split up uh, pretty early into my childhood and we moved around a bit trying to make ends meet. And it was, I struggled a lot making friends, <laughs> uh, you know, being gay, uh, living in rural Ohio. Uh, it's a little tricky, especially when you're going to new schools all the time. So running was kind of my outlet. I would go running uh, virtually every day and record uh, my miles on a poster board. Uh, when I was very little. And then I started uh, making some friends in high school and joined the cross country team. And from there kind of picked up, I started running more and more. I did my first marathon when I was in high school uh, during track season. Uh, and that kind of set the stage for just like this intense endurance running that I really have a passion for. 
after high school, uh, being gay kind of created a separation with my family and I. So we don't have the closest relationship at the moment. Uh, and so after high school, I kind of separated myself from Ohio. And a lot of the, the negative energy, um, a lot of the discrimination that I did face. And so I decided to travel around a bit and focus on running. And I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina for a few years on the beach, beautiful, uh, and trained there. And then spent some time in Stockholm, Sweden, actually training there too. Uh, so it was pretty cool to be able to, a few day days a week, run in the Olympic Stadium in Stockholm and do some training there, just like envision my goals of being on a US team. Uh, and then when my visa ended, my flight back to the US actually landed in Philly and I had never been here. And in just a few days, I fell in love with the city. Just so artistic, so cultural, uh, so welcoming and uh, very colorful, if, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I know what you mean. I, yeah, two of my yes. best friends are there. They love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. So I felt like I was at home very, very quickly. And I haven't felt that sense of home in a very long time um, throughout most of my childhood and like my early adult life. So when I came here in 2017, I just knew I couldn't leave. And so that was five years ago. Still very much in love with it. Uh, following that, I... I spent some time running, training, uh, some work in my professional life uh, in the coffee industry with like some talent and development and management as well. And started getting into the, the longer and longer races. Uh, did a 50 mile race, did a race where there were 60 miles. Uh, last year I ventured into like 70 to 80 miles uh, and then did a hundred miles on an outdoor track actually in Georgia. Um, so it's kept getting longer and longer. Uh, and this year I'll be doing a few more long races in like that hundred plus mile range, which is pretty cool just to like test my endurance. Because like you said, I do have a goal of being on the 24 hour team for USA. Uh, and in some of the races, my strength has definitely been pushed to the point where I feel like that's really achievable, uh, which is really cool. And a lot of professional runners are 28 to like the 36 range for men. And so being 27 and just like getting into that age group, I have so much potential and it's so exciting to know, like even being gay, I can compete with all these, all these other athletes at such a high caliber. So that's, that's incredible. Um, and I spent some time in the running industry in the past few years as well. Uh, just working, I worked in training too, uh, in management at a local running store. And in that, there were some really incredible things and some things that I feel like could be improved in the running industry. Like, like any company, there are some wonderful people, wonderful things, but some, some tweaks could happen um, to make a more inclusive environment. And in sports, mm -hmm. it's always pretty tricky because there's kind of a stigma of what a male should be or what a male athlete should be. So when you interact with a male athlete, you don't expect painted fingernails. You don't expect... Uh, a bit of flamboyance. You don't expect these feminine tendencies. You expect kind of a, a very masculine figure. And so when I would assist people with uh, getting fitted for running shoes, there were some times uh, in my experience where they would ask me to not help them. Um, or they would make some, some slight comments about like sexuality or fruitiness. Uh, 
That's unbelievable. Like, seriously, I can't believe that. It's yeah. like when um, Australia, because what I was saying earlier to you um, before we went live was Australia is a real melting pot of you know, <laughs> cultures and, you know, um, and Katie often says to me that, you know, I just take people for who they are and what what they want to do in their lives, you know, in their journey. It's um, And I just find that gobsmacking. I was like the first time I went to America and I saw that um, with, you know, African-Americans and people seriously would cross the road to avoid them. Mm-hmm. And I was just like floored. I could not understand it. It really like blew me away. And yeah, I just, I don't understand it at all. You know, I'm not not sure how you feel about <laughs> that. And really what I suppose what would be really good to hear from you is that what what are you wanting from from the people around you? What what are you looking for? Is it, you know, I'm not going to put words into your mouth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that kind of leads me into why I started Queer Run, uh, and the feelings that I felt in those moments, and wanting to make sure that other people didn't feel the same way that I did whether they work in the same environment or just want to go running in their free time and make friends and make a community. I wanted people to feel that safety. Uh, And so I started Queer Run uh, earlier this year so that I could create a community where people didn't have to worry or be in fear or they could show up to this like organized event for a sports and just be themselves. So we, we have had Uh, At one point, like 15 to 20 people attend and like 30% of all of our attendees are allies, which is really incredible. Uh, So not even in the LGBTQ plus community and just hearing like the non-binary members talk about their fingernails being painted with the straight members uh, and just having such natural conversation, like not even putting any thought into it, just feeling so organic is the most beautiful thing to kind of create this cohesive community where we don't have to live in fear. And so that's really what I wanted from them is just like, I wanted people to just be themselves and feel 100% happy and comfortable with it, uh, especially in running. Yeah, but in life in general, I don't think it's just running. Like, yeah, everyone should have the right to be themselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, it just makes me feel really sad. I can't believe that anyone is confronted or treated like that. Is that sort of the problem that you had with your parents as well, or? It was a little tricky. So my household, there wasn't much, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction between my parents and myself. So being like a split household, um, I've heard some negative comments towards the LGBT community growing up. So it was, mm. it was like a constant thing. Um, so I heard that discrimination throughout my childhood. And so I knew that when it was time for me to like come out and talk about myself, that it wasn't going to be the easiest and it wasn't going to be uh, received the best. Um, And uh, my coming out story was actually a little bit different than most individuals. Um, So I actually did not choose to tell my family. My school in Ohio actually told them for me. Uh, How old were you? So I was 17. Um, so right, that's unbelievable. Yeah. 
so, oh my so God. yeah so yeah. right now there's there's some like uh in the media but like some schools trying to propose um uh, when teachers find out or like hear anything about a student being gay or bisexual they must tell their parents um, so they have they have to out them yeah so like it's actually real and it happens in the U.S. I think because it's not covered in media because we are like a minority group in a sense that uh, these things aren't posted for everyone to see. But it was just a normal day in school. Uh, I had spoken to one of my best friends about about myself and confidence, and she saw the guidance counselor pretty frequently and just like chatted about her life. And one day, uh, I came up, and uh, she mentioned that I was gay and was talking about me. And then later that day, I was actually called down to the, the guidance counselor's office. And I remember walking through the door and seeing my best friend there just sitting in a chair. She turned her head, just the tears streaming down her face and she mouthed the words, I'm sorry. Uh, and then someone closed the door behind me when I walked in the room. And I have such clear images of this day and just like all the emotions I felt from seeing the tears run down her face. And I looked over through the glass wall and saw my parents sitting in the next room with some police officers. Uh, <laughs> police officers? That's traumatic. That's like PTSD. <laughs> like, yeah. No one can run 100 k's. Like, <laughs> like, or 100 miles. It's like, you've yeah. got anger. I've, I've got anger just listening. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. walking through that door into the next room, sitting down with them, having them told, uh, just like who I was and who I've been hiding. And then I actually was told to leave with one of them to go home for the day. And the car ride home with my mother was just completely silent. Um, so not a single word was said. And we walked through the door to my home and we had a slight conversation with an agreement that I would pack my things and I would leave. And so this was uh, right before Thanksgiving of my senior year of high school. Um, so I spent Thanksgiving that year without my family. Uh, I spent it at my friend who actually told the guidance counselor because she felt so bad. So her family welcomed me with open arms, gave me a place to stay, which was wonderful. Um, and I didn't want to be like a burden for a lot of people. So there were some times when I floated around a bit and found some other, uh, accommodations for myself in high school. Uh, I did a few different sports. So I used to go in early and like shower and stuff too. And, um, utilize the resources that my school had without letting other people know what I was dealing with. So it was kind of like a hidden identity within this identity I was already hiding within myself. Um, well, you're and... always welcome here, Kane. So... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you need somewhere to go, you can come here. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was very hard. Uh, I battled with mental health a lot because of that. Um, just knowing that my family would be not super receptive to me coming out. And then even like after they found out was a very hard battle. So um, just like self-harm was pretty tough for me growing up, uh, leading up to that day. So I, there were several attempts that weren't successful and I'm very grateful they were not successful to take my own life. Um, shortly before my, my parents actually found out about myself, my brother did. Uh, and luckily he kept the secret. I'm very thankful that he did, but he let me know that he heard someone talking about it in school and we were in the kitchen in my home and he said, you know, when mom finds out, uh, you know what she's going to say, right? 
And he looked over to the knives and said, you might as well just kill yourself right now. What? Do you talk to I have not spoken to him uh, in about yeah. 10 years. I Younger not. brother? <laughs> I wouldn't either. Yeah. In that moment, uh, I believed him. And I, I had so many negative emotions towards myself in my life. And so I reached over and I grabbed the knife. I grabbed the biggest one in that knife holder and held it to my arm and pulled. And uh, I was hoping in that moment that I would just be done, that I wouldn't have to feel any emotions anymore. Um, and just the pain I felt physically, emotionally, uh, he didn't seem phased by it whatsoever. Uh, my mom knew that it had happened. And I did not go to the hospital. It was just a bandage around the arm in the home and we wouldn't talk about it. And so even this cry for help did not get positive reception. So my mom didn't ask like why I did it. There was no conversation about it. Um, it, was, it was a very hard home to grow up in. Uh, and I think just like being a single mom uh, made her realize she was probably unhappy with having children. And so I don't remember the last time I hugged her or told her that I loved her throughout my childhood. I don't at this point remember what her voice sounds like. I can't imagine that um, just because it's been so long since I have talked to her. Um, so it's a childhood that I don't wish on many people, but it's a childhood that I know that many people deal with. And it's just mm -hmm. not spoken about a lot in media. A lot of times on, on Instagram, on TikTok, on, on Facebook, we portrayed like the positive aspects of our life uh, because that's what we feel like people want to see without understanding that everyone goes through real emotions and everyone has real struggles in life and everyone has a different story. And so if we tell our story the way it has been written, then maybe we could connect with someone that needed to hear that. And so with that's everything- That's amazing, I've been... sorry, it's so good. It's so true. This is what we want yeah. to do with Live Louder and it's, you know, um, like I've got goosebumps. Like it's seriously like it's so true because it's so personal to myself and I know for Katie as well that, you know, we've had traumatic experiences and it doesn't sound like anything half as traumatic as what you've been through and really what we want is people to be able to live their best selves in as their authentic self if that makes sense and what you can achieve with what you've got like seriously what you're doing is insane so thank you yeah in a good way insane I'm saying that positively <laughs> it's like thank you well, Kane, just yeah. you telling your story here, I mean, is going to be powerful for so many people. And, and um, as a, a fellow member of the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, I think this, you know, I, I don't know a gay, a gay person that hasn't contemplated what you contemplated, including myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me, I was, I was late in life uh, to really figuring this out. I was 30 when I figured out I was gay. Like literally everybody in my life understood I was gay before I did. Um, <laughs> when I told them, they're like, no kidding. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we all know that Katie, good job. Way, way to, way to know yourself, you know, things like that. But, um, when you're, when you're coming to terms and the, the societal pressures here, Mel are, are unbelievable, just absolutely mm -hmm. unbelievable, particularly in like the central part of the country where I live now and where, where Kane grew up, Mm -hmm. it's um it's it's just really um damaging and, and dysfunctional in many ways 
And it, you're just ripping my heart out telling the story because this could be happening in my town right now. Very mm. easily, probably is. I'm going to have to say it probably is. I, you know, I'm, I'm in St. Louis. So yeah, it's just very, very touching to hear that, but also very powerful because, you know, I think when our listeners hear this, and we have a really diverse um, audience, you being so transparent and, and um, how you so eloquently describe these, this perfect image everybody wants out in the media and that this really isn't talked about. I just have to mm-hmm. have to say that, you know, I really thank you for sharing that um, because I know, like I said, I don't know a single gay person who hasn't gone through that. Like I was 30 and, and thinking the same thing and, and uh, expecting the worst from everybody um, when this mm-hmm. came out about myself too, and was really going to end it all like just Mm -hmm. end it all. I I thought I would shame my family, everything you talked about. And um, I just had this overwhelming feeling um, that changed my life. It was just, I don't know, a little spiritual voice from above that was, you're exactly who you're supposed to be. Now get on with it. Mm -hmm. So um, it sounds to me like you find that in running. I do. I definitely do. Uh, I'm so happy for you, by the way. There's never too late to to realize your true self. So I'm very (laughs) thankful that, that you found that place. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. But but more, I mean, I I would love to hear more about so many things that you talk through. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you, where, where do you want to go? Let's go with that. Yeah. So, uh, talking more about like mental health. So throughout even like my early adulthood, I struggled a lot with just self-acceptance, just being brought up in that environment. Uh, it's kind of hard to just throw it away through like therapy, through friendships. It's still something in the back of your mind, this like lack of self-acceptance. And so this year was kind of a transformational year for me, I would say. Uh, I was working in the running industry at, the, at a running store up until end of March. And then I decided to make some big leaps in my life to kind of focus on self-love. And so I left and... I actually ran across the state of Pennsylvania. Um, So I did it during Mental Health Awareness Month, which was May. uh, And it was 361 miles in 10 consecutive days. So a little over 26,000 feet of elevation change too. So I ran from the West Virginia, Pennsylvania border to the uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey border on the Benjamin Franklin Bridge, which is in Philadelphia, where I live. I can see it when I go running every single day. So it was like ending in my home. Uh, And I did it during Mental Health Awareness Month, just bring awareness for the situation uh, and for the mission. And we raised about $6,500 for the Trevor Project, which is a nonprofit that's focused on LGBTQ plus youth suicide prevention and provides counseling for uh, youth and their families and education services too. Um, so really hit very close to me. Um, and I definitely didn't know what was going to come from it. I kind of just set on this journey for self-love for myself and wanting to raise money and just raise a little awareness uh, and had a really incredible crew that was with me. So I had a mentor um, during my life that helped pull me off, off the ledge a few times too. Um, and he has been with me every step of the way at every single ultra race that I do. He's going to fly anywhere. Uh, he's my nutritionist. He's my photographer. He's just uh, my direction in life. So he helps tremendously. And then my boyfriend actually came as well to drive alongside me, alongside his mom. So his mother was also there, which is pretty cool. And she's an avid runner. So she ran alongside me as well. 
Um, but each day was definitely an emotional roller coaster. So it was about uh, 16 to 51 miles a day, depending on which day it was. So we endured like temperatures that were in the mid 50s to temperatures in the mid 90s. Um, there were thunderstorms, tornado warnings, uh, just lots of ups and downs. Literally, Pennsylvania is so hilly. Uh, <laughs> lots of little mountains. Um, and so each day was just such a different experience. So I started it with not really believing in myself that I could do it. I was like, this is such a crazy goal. I did 51 miles in the first day. Uh, and I thought, how am I going to do this for the original goal was seven days. So I thought, how am I going to do this in seven days? And then uh, the second day there were tornadoes. And so <laughs> we actually had to shorten the day and kind of reevaluate our plan. And I think after that day, I realized it's just like life. So you have to reevaluate sometimes because things aren't going to go as expected. And it's just your outlook and how you tackle the situation, which depends on the outcome. Um, so your outlook really depends on the outcome or the outcome depends on the outlook. And so uh, I try to obtain a more positive mindset and just believe in myself and take in the experience. We extended the run uh, to 10 days instead of seven. And so I had moments where on little mountaintops, I could just stop and just look over the view and just take it all in. I had no headphones in a lot of the time. So just me and the world, um, no one around, no cars. Uh, and so it was a very like spiritual out-of-body experience. And it was a lot of time to think too. And a lot of time to think about things that I didn't like about myself and things that I, I absolutely loved about myself. I had time to think about my childhood and every step I've taken since then. Uh, I had time to think about all those suicide attempts and how grateful I am that they were just attempts and not successes. And each day was more impactful on just my level of self-love. So I just felt stronger emotionally and physically every single day I would wake up. And there were some times when I would run and just break down into tears, just being very proud of myself uh, for what I was accomplishing. And along that journey, there was a bit of a different reception from the public too. So I would be running and I still had some hateful things shouted to me because I had painted fingernails. I had rainbow hydration bottles with me. Um, and so I had someone even say during the run, I ran past some construction workers on like day three and they told me very loudly that if they were me, they would kill themselves. And I ran through a construction site and there were about three men that yelled that to me as I ran past them. Um, so even like in that moment, I had to kind of fight those thoughts uh, because there were some really incredible people that I did interact with. I had some cars driving next to me that would ask what I was running for. And they would then circle back around after they looked at my website and say, we donated, we're so proud of you. We support the Trevor Projects. I had families in hotels uh, sit down and talk about their child suicide attempts, um, um, how they're happy their children are still, still here, how they're grateful for what I'm doing. I had people reach out in social media saying that I helped them, uh, that I gave them inspiration. And that was all very, very impactful for me too, because all I really wanted from this was just to raise awareness. If I could save just one life from what I'm doing, if I could let someone know that's growing up and maybe they feel like they can't do organized sports or feel like their family is not going to support them or that their friends aren't going to support them or that they can't achieve a lot in life based on where they grew up in rural Ohio, for instance. Um, and uh, a 
graduating high school class of about 85, uh, where no one really gets out and no one moves away or accomplishes a lot in this world. I wanted to, to let everyone know that you can do whatever you want uh, as long as you believe in yourself. And even if you don't believe in yourself today, if you believe in yourself in your mid twenties to late twenties, you can still accomplish so much because it's never too late. Just follow your dreams and go somewhere. Or your, for, or your 40s and 50s. Or your 40s and 50s. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We, we, we say um, 40 is a new 40, 50 is a new 50, and 60 is a new 60. <laughs> so like, and I'm sure the 70-year-olds are going, and 70 is a new 70. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's having the thought of um, you're not good enough is debilitating it's but when you're in the moment it's all encompassing but I would love to know from you so what is it that you love about yourself (laughs) yeah so what I love uh I love just my passion uh I would say that's the biggest thing so running for me used to just be like a way to escape but now it's kind of a way to inspire so I love just like my passion for running and everywhere that's taken me and I'm so proud of myself for just sticking to it um, in those like dark times and those very high times in life, I'm proud of myself for just always running. Um, and so, yeah, I would say my passion, that's the biggest thing. That's super cool. And, you know, you're like a superstar in terms of elite athlete, you know, <laughs> and I know that like from we've in Australia, we've got amazing swimmers, um, but not so good in the running talent. There's a few coming up that, you know, it's always, we sort of get to the Olympics and the running's like, I mean, the swimming's like, everyone's going, yeah, we're like top of the ladder. And then as soon as we start to athlete, it's like, (laughs) there's, um, so tell us about, you know, your Olympic aspirations and, you know, um, the run, like take us through preparation, your run, you know, I can't even imagine running for 24 hours. Like that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, I originally had a 24 hour race in, uh, November of last year. Um, it was the one that was on the track and I had anticipation for running for the entire 24 hours. Uh, but the temperature started around like 65 and got down to about 30 degrees in the nighttime. And so my body wasn't really prepared for that. Um, and I was able to leave the race from mile 10 to about 97, uh, which was pretty cool, uh, for my first, like super long race of that capacity. Um, and then when the cold happened, my body just went into like a state of shock. And so I decided to stop around 18 hours or at hundred miles, uh, and say, let's go to the drawing board and plan for the next race. And so if I had kept going, I was on track to have qualified for the USA 24 hour team, which was pretty cool. Uh, but I know like if I was at that same speed, which with the cold, I probably would have decreased in speed a bit. So rather than push my body beyond its limit, I can be intelligent and prepare for next time because I still accomplish so much. Um, but training for that is very tricky. I feel like training never stops. Uh, so even like after I finished running across the state, 361 miles, I started running that week. So I didn't really take a massive break. Uh, it's about with training. And like the high point, it gets to about 100 miles a week, about 100 to like 105 miles a week for about a four to six week span. Uh, and I have like a stationary bike in my home in front of my television. So, 
Uh, so I can just like bike there too. And I live on a third floor walk up. So I have a lot of stairs every day. Uh, so I'm always cross-training, especially when I go grocery shopping. Um, and so really just the training never ends. But if you love it, it doesn't feel like work as much, uh, which is great. And I have like a great community with a lot of friends. So I don't do all my runs by myself, uh, which, is, which is incredible to have some company sometimes. Um, yeah. Does your um, body go into shock? Like when you're running for that long, do you get... Like I know I've, I've, the longest I've ever run is 26 kilometers mm -hmm. and I reckon at probably the 20 mark, my body was sort of going into that um, pins and needles sort of like shock. Yeah. Um, is that, well, like what happens to you given that you're such an elite athlete? Does it, does that still happen or... Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a famous, uh, ultra runner in the U S Courtney DeWalter. Um, she talks something about the pain cave and the pain cave is a, a big aspect of ultra running. Uh, it's like, you have to enter this pain cave when you're training. So you know how to navigate it and know how to find your way out. So if you don't push yourself like to like a painful point in some of your training and you enter that cave for the first time in a race, uh, it's going to be shocking and it's going to throw you off and make you feel like you can't persevere and work through it. So some of my runs will get like 26 to 35 miles, just like in training. Um, and so I access uh, like that level of pain in the sense uh, and fatigue in my training. So I know when I get to a race, I could say, this is just temporary in about three miles, I'll be done and I can keep going. So like in, when I did the, the recent hundred miles, I would say, I ran pretty consistently for about like the first 14 and a half hours. I didn't really take any breaks, maybe like a one minute break here or there. Um, but then around like 16 and a half, it's like that feeling of all my bones are breaking. Uh, <laughs> and knowing that that's not going to uh, kind of tear me down. So if I just keep running or switch to a different pair of shoes and just like change the way my muscles are feeling in the shoes, that's something that will help me find my way out of this cave. And so I do enter like, that shock in a sense, but with my training and doing like long runs and training, uh, I understand how to kind of navigate that pain uh, and utilize it for more like uh, positive thought, I would say. Like I can do it, like this hurts, but like, I know I can do it, I'm strong. I would say it's like, yeah, using your like personal experiences to tell yourself like I've been through this, I know what's going to come from it. Uh, if I just wait a little bit longer or believe in myself, then I can make it through. So yeah, very similar to running. <laughs> yeah. And you just like linked for me. I, I was telling you before we, we uh, started the podcast that I ran a marathon a couple of years ago and I definitely did not enter the pain cave enough in my training <laughs> because I was in pain. I had never felt in my life. Uh, so, but I finished it. I did finish Good it. Good job. But it, yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah. didn't, didn't you say Katie, that some of your toenails fell off? Oh, they did. And I, oh, it's, that's a really good, <laughs> yeah, they sure did. That, that, that happens. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> yeah. The funniest thing happened. Um, so I was in the last uh, mile of the race and I feel, again, I'm a, a little bit of a spiritual person, but last mile of the race, and I guess you could call it running what I was doing, but anybody, could, <laughs> my, my grandmother could have been walking next to me. That's the pace I was at. So, um, and there's, I see one person in the mist here and, and I run up next to them run and, um, 
she's, she's like, hi, how are you? And she's just jogging along. And I said, I I'm struggling. She said, well, I'm from St. Louis and my name is Katie and I work at a running store. Um, would you like to run with me? And I said, that's really funny. I'm from St. Louis. My name is Katie. I don't work at a running <laughs> store, but uh, yeah, let's do this. So we, we, we finished it together. I've never told anybody this story. We finished it together. My wife took pictures of us, everything else. And I am not kidding you when I say the pictures are not on my phone. She gave me her phone number and I texted her and it was like this person, whoever texted me, I was like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So I, I don't know. It's so strange. Like, <laughs> I feel like I had some visit from somebody to pull me across the finish line. It sounds um, like it. Isn't it? That's, anyway, crazy story. <laughs> but maybe I was just hallucinating because I was you in could a have been. cave. So. <laughs> Either way you finish, which is incredible. <laughs> but what a story. Right. Right. Kane, your story is one of such uh, resilience and courage. Um, and you and you just seem to be able to go back to your your inner wells here and uh, and find find your authenticity, find yourself and take that next step. So how do you do that? Oh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of strength. Yeah. Um, so I think like coming out of my comfort zone was the biggest thing. Uh, it was kind of hard to make that first step. I didn't really believe in myself. So I had to uh, kind of jump off uh, the ledge and go for it uh, before I had that 100% belief. So it's like making a plan and then believing that you can do it later. And uh, I think I developed that confidence along the way. And then when I finished, I saw how much it impacted just like everyone that was on my social media, strangers, people that I knew. And I thought, if I had the strength then, if I just keep telling my story and I tell it to the community, if I tell it to the world, then that's going to push me even further. And like, I'm going to believe in myself more and more every single day, which is incredible. And so I kind of took it back to the group run that I started, Queer Run, and told my story there. Uh, I had some more co-leaders involved um, to help me lead the group and create a strong message too, which is great. And then Runner's World actually picked up my story. And so there was an article in Runner's World about me running across uh, the States. And the, the chief running officer for Runner's World actually reached out to me uh, directly, which was incredible. Um, I was on another running podcast that's focused on like inclusivity and ultra running as well, which the episode should release this week too, um, the running times. And so it's pretty cool to have uh, individuals like you and Michael Gagliardi from that podcast reached out to me and Runner's World to want me to share my story. And like living louder really doesn't speak to what I do uh, because I feel like it's really about using your voice uh, to try to impact someone else for the better. Because it's, if you have something to say, say it. You never know who's going to be listening. Uh, whether you think uh, it's positive or not, someone will always be listening and it could always change at least one person's life. It's so true. I think um, you can't underestimate the impact that you have on others. Yeah, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to get to speak to you. And, you know, so what's next for Kane? What, what's your big goal this year? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the big goal right now is going to be with Queer Run. I would love to kind of expand it to other parts of the city. So right now we're located pretty close to the neighborhood. Um, and Center City is where we do our group runs. But I recently attended an award banquet 
uh, for, it was for the Stonewall riots that happened uh, many, many miles ago. <laughs> um, and some influential people in the LGBTQ plus community came and accepted awards and gave speeches um, from uh, the person who founded the first black organization to fight AIDS and HIV to Shirley Ralph, who is a very acclaimed actress in Abbott Elementary. And she was in Broadway for Dreamgirls talking about um, the HIV AIDS epidemic uh, back in like the 70s, 80s, um, and just advocacy that she does for the LGBT community. And listening to all these people in this banquet uh, and the, being around these other influential leaders in the community that start nonprofits that are running for uh, like state representatives to um, and just listening to them talk makes me want to just do more in the community. So I would love to expand to other parts of the city that are more underrepresented because while there is a gay neighborhood in Center City, there are uh, LGBTQ plus organizations in other parts of the city too, with representation too for the community members. And so I would love to provide a running outlet or athletic outlet or that community aspect there too. So I think that's the next step. So this fall, I would love to expand to at least two other parts of the city. And now that I have some co-leaders, uh, we hope to collaborate with uh, the William Way LGBT Center in the city too. Uh, which provides like education, a safe space for those looking for that outlet or someone to talk to for like youth, for adults, uh, which is incredible. So I would love to partner with them as well. Uh, and I had the opportunity to meet with the executive director at that awards banquet for that center. And so some really great things are happening, but all focused on kind of expanding the community. So I have some big races for like my personal life. But I think I'm more excited about just like what this running organization is going to become. Uh, even this past week, we led a workout at the Philadelphia Museum of Art Steps uh, for around 100 people and taught about allyship and the importance of allies supporting uh, the LGBT community and what that means for our mental health, for our just well-being in general, and how it strengthens the community. So the fact that we're impacting those that don't identify as gay, as bisexual, as non-binary, that aren't in this community, the fact that those individuals are coming out to listen to our story and to take part and uh, our mission means that there's so much more room for growth in the city because people are listening. So, and that those are the people in the communities nearby where I live. So what about the ones in other neighborhoods of Philadelphia? Like if I go there, if we speak our story, who's gonna listen, who's gonna come out, whose life are going to change? Um, so that's our, that's our main goal right now. What can allies do? to better support your community? I would say the biggest thing uh, is to listen. So to if you come to our runs, if you research things online, just do it with an open mindset, with a willingness to learn, uh, because there's always something that somebody does not know. Um, and there's a lot of like preconceived notions from social media. There's so much that's shared online nowadays. So we, if we see it online a few times, we naturally have a thought that that's what's true. and so coming into our community and understanding that uh, there's so much love to give and that we are still wonderful people, no matter of our gender identity or our sexuality, like we still deserve that love. And with the running group, I made the name Queer Run because there's a lot of stigma with uh, a discriminatory idea of the word queer. So some people use it in like a derogatory fashion to say something negative towards the individual, but we put it in our name because if people see it if they hear it, if they say it, it's going to become less derogatory and more empowering 
and a sense of community, mm. which is why it's on our t-shirts, on our social media pages, because people will say it in passing now and not mm. look at it as a negative word, but more as an empowering way to build this community that is at risk of losing our rights in the US. Um, and so what allies can do is really just come, just support, just listen. If you have someone in your life that you know identifies in that LGBTQ plus community, reach out to them, ask them how they're doing, ask them how you can support them, but definitely educating yourself. There's a lot of great resources online. Even the Trevor Project, the nonprofit I ran across the state for has a lot of education on their website. So a lot of resources. So if you go to the trevorproject.com, you could learn so much about how you can help the community, even just by reading. And I love how you're reclaiming the word queer. I think that's that's incredible. And then just um, listening to you talk, something that's so important about allyship is action. It's not just performative. And having you know our, our allies come into the space and interact and understand is just so, so important. So I think so many powerful messages here today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank being, you. Being, oh my goodness. Um, <clears throat> So um, any, any parting thoughts before, I know we're headed into kind of the close of the show. So any parting thoughts, where can we reach you? Can you mention all your socials for us? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, social media handles are all just Kane Leathers. It's a very unique name. So I'm lucky that no one has it in the world. Uh, <laughs> so just C-A-I-N and then Leathers like leather jacket. Um, so that's Instagram, Facebook, everywhere you can imagine. And also Queer Run, that's the name for all the social media handles. So we're also on LinkedIn too. Um, so you can find us if you want like a professional collaboration. I just want a last message to be to anybody. Like I said, if you have something to say, say it because you never know who's listening. And it's never too late to take that leap in life and uh, use your story to make an impact. And what a wonderful way to, to end the show. So once again, Kane, we are so honored that you shared your story with us today. It's so moving. It's so powerful and so impactful. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, joining this uh, incredible episode of the Live Louder podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much, Melissa and Katie. This is great. Yeah. Thank you. And I just wanted to say, I love you, Kane. And you're <laughs> through this podcast, you know, just listening to you. And I'm very um, excited about your journey. So both with Career Run and also obviously with your Olympic um, ultras. So well done. Thank you so much. That's so kind. <laughs> I think, That's we, all I think right. we need a, a queer run Melbourne and a queer run. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> when you're, you're ready for global a... expansion, let us know. I'll yeah, keep you in mind. Let yeah. us know. Uh, there's a lot of runners in Melbourne. Yeah, you'll be right here. So, like I said, you know, we've got a home here. So <laughs> you'll have to have to come to Australia. <laughs> I will. All right. Thank you. Okay. So thanks. See okay. You. Thank you.